blessed Sunday to you. Today is a typical Sunday in the Christmas season, but you're going to probably have at Mass today, a, your priest will probably give a homily on the Epiphany. Most of you are watching me from North America, and in North America, at least most of the time, the Feast of the Epiphany is sort of carried over to Sunday, where then the priest will give a homily. So I thought it would be appropriate today to give you Archbishop Carlo Maria's Vigano's his, his message on the, his sermon on the Feast of the Epiphany. Um, he's been writing a lot lately, and I don't really like putting up more than one letter of his in, in a week, <laughs> so especially not back-to-back days. But this is different. This is, I think, appropriate to Sunday for them because mostly it's not about the crisis in the church, but he really does link the Feast of the Epiphany to all the great evils we see in the world today, to the powers that shouldn't be, as I sometimes call them, to these forces of darkness trying to erase our Lord from the public square and from the human consciousness in general. So I'm curious what you'll think of this. So let me know in the comments after you've uh, been done hearing it. This was only released in Italian. I ran it through the best translating algorithm online to give you an, a competent English translation. I will, however, try to remember to post a link to this in my show note, special show notes for the weekend today at returntotradition.org. I don't. Let me know in the comments if I forgot. And I'll, you know, after I get back from Mass, I will put it up on the website for you. Anyway, let me know what you think of this. Have a blessed Sunday. Praise be to Jesus Christ. This solemn day is sanctified by three miracles. The adoration of the Magi, the changing of water into wine at the wedding in Cana, and the baptism of Christ in the Jordan. These prodigious signs show us our Lord's divinity and his universal lordship over the cosmos, nature, and us. It is no longer only the shepherds who are called by the angels to recognize the verum cato factum, but is the entire human race. It is all of creation that God's own voice calls to worship him, to listen to him, to obey him, a lordship that some acknowledge with humble faith and others reject out of pride. In the Christmas Eve martyrology, we heard the announcement of the birth of the Savior, secundum canum sum, placed in history with a multiplicity of precise and detailed chronological references. That composite tota orbe in pace, which the cantor solemnly pronounces just before raising the tone of his voice to scan the historical reality of the saving event of Christ's Christmas, refers to the threefold triumph of Augustus, author and peacemaker of the empire. A human and pagan triumph, certainly, but one that was to prepare for the eternal triumph of the Rex Pacificus, the immortal emperor, the unconquered son. That is why on the Feast of the Nativity, from being a civil holiday instituted to celebrate the human glory of Rome, was chosen by the church to celebrate the imperishable glory of Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In this age of apostasy, marked by wars and lacerations, caused by rebellion against God, it is difficult to understand how the earthly authority of the emperor could constitute in the plan of providence the necessary precondition for the coming of the Lord. It seems to us more normal, so to speak, the fierce and ruthless response of Herod, who in his mad attempt to end the child king had the children of Bethlehem taken out, whom we were called a few days ago in the liturgy, life and death, peace and war, light and darkness, grace and damnation. We constantly have before our eyes the two great alternatives for ourselves, for our families, for civil society. And it is Christ who stands as a point of reference, as a stumbling block, asking us to make our moral choice, recognizing him as our life, our peace, our light, 
are everything. If this were not so, that is, if we were to renounce making this choice, if we were to declare ourselves neutral before the battle being fought by the angelic hosts against the powers of the pit, we would still be making a choice on which our salvation and that of the whole world depends. We see it today. Those who do not take the field under the banners of Christ inexorably end up being allies of his enemies. Stand by and watch the innocence ended by Herod, and in front of the manger refuse to worship the Lord in the name of a perverted concept of freedom and secularism in which God's sovereign rights are denied or silenced. Yet precisely in contemplating the mysteries of this most holy day, the Church shows us the necessity of the epiphany, of the manifestation of the divinity of Jesus Christ, a necessity for which providence does not hesitate to move the stars, if a star can lead wise pagans in the light of grace and conversion to the true God. Indeed, the simple and faithful worship of the shepherds, made from a humble and poor interiority, was not enough. It calls for the active faith of the individual, of each one of us. But it remains incomplete for the fate of the world if it is not accompanied by the public and official worship of those in authority on earth. Since this authority is a reflection of the authority of God, supreme lawgiver and judge. As the psalm prophesies, et adobunt um, omnes ir egos tere, omnes gentes servente e. It is somewhat surprising that it is wise men from the East who pay homage to the child God, while the representatives of imperial authority are absent, just as neither the king of Israel nor the high priests appear, who also played a decisive role in trying and condemning the Lord to death, present, present in the moment of death, but absent in the moment of life. Why do not we not see the Roman procurator, Herod, Annas, and Caiaphas, the officials of the Sanhedrin, and the scribes of the people around the manger, while we contemplate Gaspar, Melchor, and Balthazar kneeling before the child intent on offering their gifts. The answer is evident in all its simplicity. The shepherds worshipped Christ with confident abandonment of the simple man, who has nothing to offer but himself and the poor things of the daily life in his humble labor. The Magi worshipped Christ because of his prodigious manifestation in the course of the stars and their human wisdom, their ability to peer into the cosmos, led them to the everlasting Son, because they too with humility were able to recognize the birth of God in the world. Both were enlightened by grace, the former through, through the angel's announcement, the latter through the signs of heaven. In contrast, Herod and the high priests, who even though they should have known very well the messianic prophecies guarded by Israel, could neither see nor believe, because their first concern was power. On the one hand, temporal power, exercised under the domination of pagan Rome and forgetting that our elder brother's rulers were vicars of the one king of Israel, the Lord God of hosts. On the other hand, spiritual power exercised in what today we would call self-referentiality, that is, to preserve themselves and keep the people in ignorance. This is confirmed to us by the harsh rebukes and stern warnings of the prophets, by whose mouths the Lord called his priests back to their duties, while they were busy stretching the tines of the forks with which they held back some of the sacrificial meat for themselves, or while they were profiting on the trades of the money changers and merchants brought into the temple. Deaf to grace, dear deaf Herod, who should have been who should have seen in the little Jesus the ratifier of his own authority, deaf of the high priest who should have recognized in him the promised Messiah, the desired one of all peoples. Both significantly had preferred to submit to the invader rather than to bow to him who holds in his hand the fate of the world and time. Non hebemus regem nisi caesarem. The present situation is in this not very different from then. Even today, the civil and ecclesiastical authorities refuse to worship Jesus Christ or only pay lip service to it by plotting for his ending in fear of losing their power. 
Even today, we see simple people and leaders of distant nations acknowledging the Savior and conforming their private and public lives to him, while world leaders prefer to gather in other places for their evil agenda. And the prelates of the Bergolian sect think about hiding their scandals, propagating synodality, and encouraging the most unmentionable vices. Both support each other and recognize each other's legitimacy. Both consider Jesus Christ an inconvenient obstacle to the pursuit of their plans for power and domination. Yet as we sing in the Epiphany hymn, Non edipit motalia que regnum dat celestia. He who gives us heavenly kingdoms does not kidnap earthly kingdoms. But if on the one hand the Magi with their tribute of faith were able to publicly worship the King of Kings, having nothing to fear for their authority, on the other hand, the rebellious rulers who are indocile to God, not recognizing the divine origin of the power they wield, set themselves against his lordship and against their own subjects, turning wise and just government into an instrument of hateful tyranny. Against them, the prophet Jeremiah thus expresses himself. For among my people there are wicked men who spy out lurking like hunters, laying traps to catch men, as a cage full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they become great and rich. They are fat and pingy. They overstep the bounds of evil. They do not defend justice. They do not care for the cause of the orphan. They do not do justice to the poor. Should I not punish these sins? Oracle of the Lord, of such a people should I not take vengeance. Frightful and horrible things take place in the land. The prophets preach in the name of lies, and the priests rule at their beckoning. Yet my people are pleased with this. What will you do when the end comes? Listening to these words of Holy Scripture, we wonder if they are not addressed to the powerful of this world, to members of the elite and those who serve them out of cowardice and of self-interest, out of courtly complicity, and to those who, constituted in authority in the church to shepherd the flock entrusted to them by the Lord, abuse their power to rule at the beckoning of the prophets of this new order of the ages, who prophesy afflictions and emergencies of which they are the ruthless architects. What will you do when the end comes? The Lord asks. We create new emergencies, new crises, new afflictions, new wars with which to keep the sub to keep the people subjugated. Will you continue to end the most vulnerable, to make fathers and mothers unable to bear more, to defraud the laborer of his wages, to corrupt the young, to end the sick and the old because they are considered useless to your vile interests? We barricade yourselves in your fortresses, hoping to escape God's wrath and your just punishment. What will you, servants of the great of the Big restart do when you your masters must flee to their lairs, hide in the bowels of the earth. Do you think you could sell yourselves to a new master as you've done so far? Poor, miserable, deluded ones. The tremendous day of the Lord will come for everyone, and for you too, first with a particular judgment and then with the universal one. If earthly justice watches inertly at your crimes because it has put you into servitude, divine justice will be inexorable and terrible, so that your public faults against the majesty of God and against man, whom he created in his image and likeness and whom he redeemed with his own blood, will not go unpunished. If our poor forces fail to overcome your plans, know that each one of us, every believer in the Holy Church, every good soul prays, fasts, and does penance to invoke the intervention of the Lord, King of Nations, whom you refuse to acknowledge, worship, and serve. What will you do when the end comes? Beloved children, on this day of Epiphany, when we celebrate the public manifestation of the divine kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ and the public tribute of the Magi to his universal and eternal lordship, let us renew our offering, a poor and paltry offering, for it comes from us who have nothing but what providence has granted us, a precious offering when presented by Our Lady, Mary Most Holy, Queen Mother and our Advocate at the throne of our Son. 
an infinite offering, when it ascends to the majesty of the Father through the hands of the pure and holy victim, the high priest, the eternal pontiff, who renews the sacrifice of the cross and the holy sacrifice of the mass. Let us lay at the foot of the altar our penances, that they may become the gold of kings, our prayers that they may ascend to heaven like the incense that priests burn to God, our fasts, our fasts, that the holy mass may convert them into the myrrh of sacrifice. And let us ask the child king to convert those who constituted in authority in civil society and in the church, who find themselves today having to choose whether to follow the star of Bethlehem to worship him, or to ignore his birth in order to evade his will and make war on him. Amen. Signed, Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò. A typical rousing sermon from Archbishop Viganò for the Feast of the Epiphany, which is being observed in at least in North America today, because it's not a whole, because it was not a holy day of obligation on the actual feast day. I'm curious what you thought of this, and this letter is very timely because tomorrow, Monday, I have for you something else. Dr. Taylor Marshall talked about uh, some evidence emerging that Benedict XVI was forced out of the papacy. Another news story came out Friday night that I will cover tomorrow for you, and it, uh, it's a doozy, to say the least. For those of you who believe Benedict was the true pope or that his resignation was invalid for any number of reasons, this will be music to your ears. For those of you who are at least open-minded to the possibility, you'll want to tune in for that. I'm saving that for tomorrow. I'm curious what you thought of this sermon from Archbishop Vigano, so let me know in the comments. Please like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help, as does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. Have a blessed Sunday today, and as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.